book of Revelation several times, John refers to the Lamb's book of life. The Lamb's book of life. So again, the question is, is your name, is your name written in heaven? To answer this question, we're going to ask about five questions together this morning. And the way we answer these five questions will help us with this main question about your name being written in heaven. So let's think about this carefully. The first question is this. Have you obeyed the gospel? That's a simple question. Have you obeyed the gospel? There's several ways of saying that. Have you come to Jesus for forgiveness of your sins? Have you come to Jesus and given Him your life? Have you obeyed uh, the gospel? Looking at Philippians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, notice the Apostle Paul mentions several members of the church there in Philippi. He mentions two ladies, one named Euodia and the other Syntyche. And he says, uh, encourage these ladies to be uh, of the same mind, to agree in the Lord. And then he goes on to talk to an, about another man by the name of Clement. And then he talks about other fellow workers. Many of the people there in Philippi had worked side by side with Paul in the gospel. So Paul refers to them as fellow workers, fellow helpers. And then he says, these people's names are written in the book of life. Notice that in your Bible. Philippians 4, 2, and 3. These people's names are written in the book of life. And so it just, it behooves us to ask the question on top of this, well, how did they get their names written in the book of life? Well, because they're members of the Lord's church. And we have a very clear record of the beginning of the church in Philippi. If you go back in your Bibles and look at Acts chapter 16, beginning in verse 11, we're introduced to some ladies out by Riverside, and Lydia is one of those ladies, and she heard Paul preach the gospel, and she opened up her heart, and as she opened up her heart to the preaching of the gospel there, then... Um, she was able to grow in her faith, and before long, she was baptized, and before long, all her household was baptized. That's the beginnings of the church in Philippi. In other words, Lydia and her household came to Jesus for forgiveness. And when they did what he said to do, then their names were added to the book of life. And then you keep reading there in Acts 16, and you look down to verse 30, and the Philippian jailer will ask, what must I do to be saved? Paul responds to him and says, you know, you must believe. You must believe. And Paul didn't, didn't just tell him to believe without giving him the means to believe. And so right after that, Acts 16.31, Paul says believe. And then right after that, Paul spends some time telling him about the Word of God, telling him about the Lord, telling him about the Gospel. And as he absorbed that, again, his faith grew. And before long, he was baptized for the remission of sins. And before long, all his household was baptized, and with Lydia and her household and the jailer and his household, those were the beginnings of the church at Philippi, and that's exactly how one has initially his or her name added to the book of life. Now, there are a lot of lists in this world, a lot of lists. When you are born, you are uh, enrolled in a sense because you get a birth certificate. And before long, you will be issued a social security number. There's another list. And then 
uh, as you get older, you might, um, you might get your driver's license and you'll be uh, enrolled at the local uh, state trooper's office. And then if you uh, decide to get married, you go and get your marriage license and that is put on record at the local uh, clerk's office. And then as you get into uh, school and more schools, you're put on different lists. And a lot of times we're put on a waiting list, aren't we? We love the waiting, waiting list. The waiting list. And there's a lot of lists in life. There's even some lists that will uh, recognize uh, some uh, good things that you have done, some things you have achieved uh, in life. But I'm going to tell you something. There really is no other list. There's no other real list than having your name written in heaven. Look at Hebrews 12 and verse 23 for a little statement there. Hebrews 12, 23 mentions the, the assembly or the church of the firstborn who, who all are enrolled in heaven. Notice that in Hebrews 12, 23. The, the general assembly or the church of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. What, what a blessing. Now, no one can register themselves in heaven. No one can do that. You cannot register yourself in heaven. You cannot buy your way on this list in heaven. You cannot bribe your way. You cannot coerce your way. No man has the authority to put your name in heaven. No man does. Not you, not, not a relative, not a friend, not a Facebook uh, associate. Not a, a doctor, not a lawyer, not a preacher, certainly not a teacher, not a scientist alive. There's no human being who has the authority, authority to say, I can put your name in heaven. Only the Lord. Only the Lord. And the only way we can know that the Lord has put our name in heaven is by doing what he says uh, to do. So the first question is simply, have you obeyed the gospel? The second question is this, do you have a heart for the lost? Do you have a heart for the lost? Moses did, if you look in your Bibles, back to Exodus 30, uh, 32, verses 31 to 34, as we mentioned earlier. Moses had a heart for the lost. The people had made them gods of gold of all things. They had made them gods of gold. And good old Moses, he says, I'll return to the Lord and talk to him about this. So he goes back to the Lord and talks to him and says, The people have sinned, have sinned a great sin. Uh, please forgive them, Lord. But then he adds this. He said, if you, if you can't forgive them, please blot me. Moses saying this. Blot me out of the book that you have written. Moses to God saying, blot me out of the book that you have written. God says back to Moses, he says, look, Moses, when someone sins, I blot their name out of the book. You go and do what I have for you to do. But look at the heart of Moses. Look at the heart of Moses. He wanted the people to be doing right. He wanted them to be serving the Lord faithfully. He did not want them cast away forever from God. It reminds us of Paul's words in Romans chapter 9, 2 and 3. Paul says, I have great sorrow. And then he says, I have unceasing anguish in my heart. And he goes on to say, I wish myself could be a curse from Christ, could be cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen in the flesh. What is Paul saying? 
The same thing as Moses. Paul's heart was grieved because so many of his Jewish kinfolks would not submit to the Gospel. And it broke his heart. It literally broke his heart. Notice what he says in Romans 10 verse 1. He says, My heart's desire and prayer for Israel is that they may be saved. I bear them record. They have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. And this broke his heart. And he, he spent his life, he, he gave his all to help share the good news uh, with them. This also reminds us of Jeremiah, the great prophet of old Jeremiah, chapter 9, verse 1, where that prophet says, Oh, that my head were waters, and my eyes a fountain of tears. Why, Jeremiah? Why? So that I could weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people. Again, Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, of course, and he was hurt deeply because God's people had turned to idolatry and because now they were suffering for the consequences of their sins. It broke his heart. He even goes on to say, we sometimes don't keep reading there in Jeremiah 9, he goes on to say, oh, I wish I just had a dwelling place out in the desert so I could go and just live there because this is grieving me too much to see my people involved in adultery, to see my people involved in falsehood and not truth, to see my people serving idols. This has become a land of falsehood, he says. I wish I could just go out there and dwell in some place in the desert. He was really grieving, grieving, because of people turning away from God. Look at your Bible in Psalm 119. And a little verse in 136. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. And it has, a what, 176 verses? Well, Psalm 119, verse 136. If you'll notice that with me. Psalm 119, verse 136. My eyes, the writer says, My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law, O God. My eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law, O Lord. Notice what he sheds here. He doesn't say droplets of water. He doesn't say a a ditch of water. He doesn't say a puddle. He says, "My, my eyes shed streams, rivers of tears. Because they do not keep your law. Do, do I want my name written in heaven? I've got to have a heart for God. Do I have a heart for God? Do I have a heart for those who are lost and not paying attention to God? You know, Paul had that kind of heart, as we know. Philippians 3.18, he said that when he says the things that he says, he doesn't say them with gladness. He says, I tell you, even weeping, that there are some people who, are, who have become enemies of the cross of Jesus. Those who mind earthly things, those whose God is their belly, Philippians 3, 18 and 19. Those who, who are completely selfish in their ways, those who are not paying attention to God, those whose end is perdition. He says, I'm telling you about these folks because I don't want you to follow them, but I'm telling you and it makes my heart break. They have become enemies of the cross of Jesus. When Jesus himself came to Jerusalem to give himself for our sins. Luke 19.41 says he just stopped and cried. He cried out loud. He cried. Everybody heard him cry. It was, a, it was anguish for, for people who are lost. 
The Bible hasn't changed. God hasn't changed. The Bible was finalized 2,000 years ago. The same principles, the same commands, the same will of God that was given, the same commission that was given in those, given in those days is still our commission, still our will today, still our commands today, is still the will of God for us today to have a heart for those who are lost and then to seek to do something about it. God is not surprised by any conditions. The gospel has not changed. Men change. We change. Circumstances change. But the will of God, the word of God, remains forever. Sometimes I think people think that God's surprised by circumstances. Somehow or another, something arises and he's surprised and therefore his will has put put on hold. But his word is still forever. His word is still the same commission, the same gospel, the same will, the same principles. Everything that God laid down 2,000 years ago is still very much alive and ought to be alive in our heart and ought to create a a, a heart for the lost, compassion for the lost. So first, have I obeyed the gospel? When I think about, is my name written in heaven? Have I obeyed the gospel? And secondly, do I have a heart for the lost? Third question is this. Am I sharply focused? Are you sharply focused on going to heaven? Is going to heaven, in other words, is going to heaven, is it the the priority, the, the driving force of your life? Is it? Is it, the, is it the focus that um, I base all my thoughts and decisions upon going to heaven? Going to heaven. Do I have a sharp focus on going to heaven? You see, this is what Jesus is talking about in Luke 10, verses 17 to 20, when he was talking to some of his disciples. He had sent them out and given them powers, and they came back, and they were very thrilled. They came back with joy and said, Even the demons are subject unto us. Even the demons are subject unto us. They were very happy about that. They were filled with joy about it. And Jesus will tell them, Don't rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, think about this just from the pure ideal of of importance. Of importance. And he was trying to warn his disciples. There are a lot of nice things to be able to do in life. They were doing a very gifted thing. They were, be, they were able to have miracles at their fingertips. At least for a while. But that wasn't nearly as important, as important as going to heaven and leading somebody to heaven. Jesus said, you rejoice in that. Think, think about it from just a pure importance standpoint. Think about it from the standpoint of joy. Jesus said, what you're doing, these miracles you're able to do, this is not what should be bringing you the most joy. Your joy should be that your, your names are written in heaven. Now, notice something that John says in 3 John verse 4. 3 John verse 4. It may, be a while, it may, may have been a while since you marked this verse. I'm sure you've run into it. It should speak loudly to us. 3 John verse 4. John says, I have no greater joy. Please let those words 
look at you right in the eyes. I have no greater joy. Think about this. John says, I have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth. John's talking about people that he's been able to influence toward the gospel of Jesus when he says children. When he says children. Okay. Notice what he says. I have no greater joy. John had been there with Jesus, walking step by step. He had been day in and day out with Jesus. That was not his greatest joy. John was there when Jesus entrusted him with his mother at the cross. That was very nice. But that was not his greatest joy. What is John's greatest joy? He says, I have no greater joy than to hear of my children walking in the truth. If we want to go to heaven, if we want our names written in heaven, we must be able to not just say that, but to feel it and to live in accordance to that. And so, I need to ask myself the question, is heaven my, my solitary meaning of life? Is going to heaven my highest, my most dominant priority that there is? And if it's not, then I've got to step back and look at some things. Jesus said, Rejoice not in that the fact that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And look at that statement from the standpoint of, of means to an end. This is really where Jesus is, is headed with this. The disciples were doing something that a lot of us end up doing. They're looking, they're, they're, they're intertwined in, in the means and not the end. The end is that we go to heaven and we carry as many people with us there as possible. That's the end. There's a lot of means toward that end. One of those means in those early days was the ability to do miracles. But they were, they were just wrapped up. They were rejoicing in the fact that they were able to do miracles. That even the, the demons were subject to them. Jesus tenderly rebukes them and says, you're getting caught up in something that's just the means. It's not the end. The end is heaven itself. The miracles were a means of confirming what was being said in regard to knowledge about God and to confirm the identity of Jesus as the Son of God is a means to an end. And they were getting wrapped up in the means and not focusing on the end result that we all need. We too have that tendency. Everything that is about us that is good should be looked at as a means toward getting to heaven and helping somebody else get there to be with you. Everything else is mute. Everything else is of less, less, less importance. This is from, this is from the Lord now. This is, this, he's wanting us to look at this very closely. If you look there in Luke 10, 17-20, not only did the disciples have the ability to subject demons unto themselves, but God protected them. It says they protected them from scorpions and, and snakes and from a lot of harm. From a lot of harm. But again, this was a means to an end. The reason God was protecting them was so that they would have the opportunity to share the gospel. 
They'd have the opportunity to help somebody else go to heaven, and they'd have the opportunity to have their names written in heaven. It was a means to an end, not the end itself. Somebody might say, well, the Lord has seen me through a lot of things. The Lord has been with me in some, in some valleys and some hills and some tough times. Okay, well, what's the reason for that? If you feel like the Lord has, has spared your life, then why did He do that? He didn't do it just so you could go and make the statement that He did it. He did it in order for us to know what the means. The means is to help somebody go to heaven. To draw closer to God and help someone go to heaven. Is my name written in heaven? It's going to be determined. Have I obeyed the gospel? Do I have a heart for the lost? And is heaven my solitary, main, focus, driving force in life? Fourth question then is this. Am I winning the fight over Satan? Be turning your Bibles over to Revelation chapter 3. Revelation chapter 3. I think you see what we're doing now. We're looking at the passages that deal with our names being written in heaven. What are the principles and ideas that go along with these passages? So notice this question. Am I winning the fight over Satan? And notice what Revelation chapter 3 verse 5 says. This is Jesus' message to the church at Sardis. Most of the people in the church at Sardis are lingering in their faith. They're not very strong, but a few, a few are remaining strong. So notice what Jesus says. We'll start in verse 4, Revelation 3, verse 4. Yet you have still a few names in Sardis, people who have not sold their garments, and they, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who overcomes will be clothed in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. But I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. Now notice this. Is it possible for someone to have their name blotted out of the book of life once it's there? Yes. Yes. How could that happen? If we do not overcome, if we are not overcoming Satan, if we're not engaged in the fight to overcome the forces of evil in this world, then yes, our name can be blotted out. The Lord very much, especially emphasized in the book of Revelation, the Lord very much wants us to be, to be overcomers. Not Personally, yes, overcoming the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. Overcomers personally, but especially engaged in the fight for that which is right. Revelation 12, verse 11, they overcame. Here, here are three things they did to overcome. Revelation 12, verse 11. Here are three things they did to overcome. They overcame through the blood of the Lamb. You see, when we come to God for forgiveness, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross, because of His shed blood, and we focus on that, and we'll do that again here in just a few minutes with the Lord's Supper. But because of that, that gives us the assurance that we are forgiven. And we don't have to wrestle with guilt and doubt anymore. That arms us, that, that qualifies us, that gives us confidence as we go out and try to encourage people to come to Christ in the world. 
They overcame through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of their testimony. In other words, the words of God they shared. They shared. People just do not wake up in Christ. We can do good works and we should. We can extend kindness and compassion and we should. But still, all of that kindness and all of that compassion, all those good works does not cause someone to wake up in Christ. They have to hear the word of God. And so they overcame through the blood of Jesus and through sharing of the word. And then the third one, they love not their life unto death. That's what it takes. If we're going to overcome, if we're going to be engaged in the fight for right, then we must not love our life. In other words, the, the church and the truth and the goodness of God and salvation and heaven and all things which are spiritual are more important than my life. All of those things and many more are much more important than my life. And these early Christians put down their life on the line. As Romans uh, 16, 3-5 tells us, uh, an example, Aquila and Priscilla, Paul said they laid down their necks. That's what these early Christians did. They laid down their necks. We don't even know how to speak about the adverse conditions that they faced in their day. But I can tell you this, we hadn't seen it here. They faced adverse conditions, but they did not stop trying to spread the good news about the truth. They, they were overcomers. They were overcomers. So I must ask myself the question, am I overcoming? Am I, am I an overcomer? Am I winning the battle against Satan? Am I engaged in that fight? And then the fifth question this morning. Do I know about the books of God? Do I know about the books of God? I'm not making a mistake here. I'm saying books of God. Revelation 20 verse 12, John says, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne." And they opened the books. And another book was opened, which was the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those books according to what they had done. On Judgment Day, there's going to be some books. Some books. There's at least three. Book number one is this. God has a record of what we have done. A book of deeds. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 10. We shall all appear before the, before the judgment seat of Christ to receive the things done in the body. Whether it be good or bad. God has a record of all that we have, have done. Every bit of it. See. God knows our words. Matthew 12, 36 and 37 says, By your words you will be condemned. By your words you will be justified. God knows our fruits, whether it's good or bad, good or bad, Matthew 12, verse 33. God has a record of our deeds. Book number one, record of our deeds. 
book of our deeds. Book number two, of course, is the Word of God. We know, according to Paul in Romans 2, 16, we'll be judged according to the gospel. So the second book on Judgment Day will be the gospel, the, the book of scriptures. So book number one will be the book of deeds. Book number two will be the book of scriptures. And book number three will be the book of names. The book of names. Names written in heaven. All those books will be open on Judgment Day. And God will judge us. The Lord will judge us from these books. He'll look at our book of deeds and then He'll take His own word and judge us. And how do we measure up? How is that going to go? You might say that our book of deeds is man's book in God's hand. Man's book, our deeds, in God's hands. You might say that the book of scriptures is God's book in man's hands because God has given us His book to guide us in life. That's that's God's book in our hands. The book of names is God's book in God's hands. Nobody can put your name there. God puts our name there. When we submit to Him, when we follow Him in all these various ways, that's God's book in God's hands. And with these books, God will judge us on that day. Several years ago, in a little place in Iowa, there was a family getting ready to take a trip out of the country, overseas. And so they went and applied for a passport for their 11-year-old boy, little boy. Unbeknownst to them, for some reason, there was no birth certificate for their 11-year-old. And they had no record, no, no local, no state, no federal office had a record. Legally and according to their records, their son did not exist at all. Now after some time and some trouble, they were able to get that fixed and, and able to take their trip. But just think about it. Suppose we get to Judgment Day and we look for our name written in heaven. Suppose it's not there. Suppose it's not there because we haven't gone through the new birth process to receive our birth certificate. Whoever is born of water and the Spirit, John 3, 3 through 5, that same person will be entering the kingdom of God. That same person will have his name written in heaven. Suppose a person gets to Judgment Day and don't find their name on that roll in heaven. Can you think of a Worse circumstance. If you're following the Lord, there is some good news. The Lord has an incredible mind. He will never forget you. He'll forget, never forget your name. If you have named the name of the Lord, if, you, if you're following Him with all your heart, if you have submitted to Him and you're continuing to do that, if heaven is your if heaven is your driving force, your main priority in life, the Lord, the Lord, what a mind He has. Psalm 121 says He doesn't ever sleep or slumber. Psalm 147 says He's got all the stars in heaven named. Matthew chapter 
10, 28 to 31 says, the Lord knows the number of your hairs. The Lord doesn't forget. There won't be any identity theft. The Lord will never forget who you are. And on Judgment Day, He will be more than happy. It will thrill Him to invite you on into heaven. The question before us, though, is your name written in heaven? It's entirely possible to know this. In fact, it's a tragedy not to know if this is the case or not. Hopefully, these five questions we've asked. Have you obeyed the gospel? Do you have a heart for the lost? Is heaven your main priority? Are you winning the fight over Satan? Do you know about the books of God? Maybe these questions can help us to look at ourselves and make sure that we are on our way to heaven. If we can assist this morning in any spiritual need, please make that known right now as we stand, as we sing, Brother Mark.